We're going to be looking uh, this morning at an absolutely fantastic passage of Scripture. And it's something that Jesus said, and uh, I hope you are excited by it as I am. Uh, it's found in John chapter 15, and it's verses 1 to 17. Uh, and I'll just read it sort of quickly to you, and then we're going to take some time and go through it and, uh, and try and unpack it and, and see what God wants to tell us. Uh, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. If you, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Now, when you get a passage of Scripture that is as good as that, if this message is going to fall flat, it's entirely on me. Because this is one of the most incredible passages in the entire Bible. These are Jesus' words to his, uh, his disciples as they are preparing to leave the upper room after the Last Supper and they are walking to the Garden of Gethsemane and where Jesus is about to be betrayed and brutally tortured and crucified. And these are Jesus' thoughts as he's walking with his disciples. This is what he wants to convey to them. This is his, if you like, one of his last messages to them before all that will take place will take place. So what do we learn? Well, let's start. Jesus is the true vine. I am the true vine, he says, and my father is the gardener. And you know, seven times in John's gospel, Jesus makes a statement that begins, I am. He says in John 6, I am the bread of life. Bread satisfied size hunger for hours. Jesus satisfies our spirit forever. I am the bread of life, he says. He says, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8. He's the light to guide our path. In John 10, he says, I am the door. No one gets in to heaven without going through the door. He says, I am the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep under his protection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. You want an eternity in heaven? This is the way. You do it through Jesus. 
He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way, the only truth, and the only life. And here we hear him saying to his disciples, I am the true vine. Well, what does that mean, to be the true vine? Well, grapevines were everywhere in ancient Israel. There was also a very large golden vine set in a prominent decoration on the front of the temple. And it may well be that Jesus was saying this as they were passing by underneath it. Because in the Old Testament, the vine symbolized the nation of Israel. In Psalm 80, we read, You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. You see, the vine was very, very important. It was a, as a symbol of what God had done. But unfortunately, it's often used in the Old Testament in a very negative sense because God's chosen people were not always fruitful. But now Jesus is saying that there is a new agreement, there is a new covenant between man and God, and he is the true vine. And if we want to bear fruit for God, we have to be connected to the vine. Now, I think it's a lovely picture of God as the gardener or as the vine dresser. You know, when I think of God the Father, this is the way I think of him. I think of him as the creator God who made a beautiful world and filled it with an abundance of beauty. Plants, flowers, animals, birds, fish, and of course, people. And as we heard this morning, we've already spoiled God's perfect creation with our sinful natures. This world that we live in today is not the world that God created for us. But God wants to use us to bring transformation and healing to his land. And by describing God the Father as the gardener, himself as the vine, and his followers as the branches, Jesus is showing us how closely connected he is to his people and how closely connected we must be to him. Because the branch depends on the vine even more than the sheep depends on the shepherd or the child depends on the father. And as Jesus was about to go to the cross, he wanted to encourage his disciples that he would remain connected to them if they remained connected to him. God will prune us if needed. We read, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now there's a curious line here. When Jesus says he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And I have to be honest, this verse used to really bother me. Because I've heard Christians, people who I respect enormously, say that this is proof that it is possible for Christians to lose their salvation. After all, if we're not bearing fruit, God will come and he'll cut us off. But how could that be? How could a branch that is in Christ be cut off? If we are in Christ, we are a new creation, and Jesus promises that we are safe in his hands. So what are we seeing here? Well, I've given this a lot of thought and prayer, and I've come to the conclusion that this is something that has been a little bit lost in translation. And I'd like to share it with you. The problem, I think, lies in the way that these words have been translated into English. The Greek word that is used here is the verb aero, A-I-R-O. And that word can mean several things. Um, I, hopefully, yeah, there we are. It can mean several things. It can mean to take off something that is attached to something else. And it can mean to cut off, 
or remove or take something away, but it can also mean to lift up, to raise up, to elevate from the ground. And I think that's really important because from a gardening perspective, that's really interesting. Because as any gardeners who've grown vines will tell you, if a branch is connected to the vine but isn't bearing fruit, then it needs to be tended to. And a vine dresser or a gardener will lift an unproductive branch off the ground and he will tie the branch up onto a trellis so that it can get more of the sun. He raises it up. He nurtures it. He makes sure that the branch has every opportunity to produce fruit in the next season. And so a perfectly plausible explanation, a perfectly plausible translation of this verse is this. He lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit. And this interpretation is actually consistent with what we know of first century vines that Jesus and his disciples would have been very familiar with. That's what a good gardener does. It's totally consistent with what we read elsewhere in Scripture. You know, in Romans 8, Paul says, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And nothing can separate us from God's love when we are in Christ Jesus. You know, when we're in the dark and when we're not bearing fruit, and when we're barely holding on to our faith, I believe that that's when God will raise us closer to the sun, to his perfect light, just as the good gardener raises up his vines where they're not getting enough light. You know, there are lots of reasons why a branch might not be producing the fruit that the gardener wants it to. It might be on the ground. It might be underneath other vines. It might have got a bit tangled up uh, with, with stuff. And this is where the gardener steps in and raises it up so that it gets to the sun. So I think that's really, really important, and I think we need to make sure that we understand this. So we have a picture here of a good gardener who is raising up the branches that aren't producing a crop so that they get more of the sun. And we also see him pruning the branches that are producing fruit. Now pruning is when you, the gardener, remove any stuff on the plant that's holding it back from producing more fruit. Now listen, I'll, I'll level with you. I'm not a gardener. I once watered a fake plant that Helen had put on the shelf, and I destroyed it. And Helen told me that I can even kill fake plants. You know, my mother was a great gardener. I mean, she was, used to love being in the garden. And we had, used to have a nice garden when I was a kid, and I would sometimes come home from school to find what, to my eye, looked like a destroyed garden. I once thought we'd had vandals because there were bits of stuff everywhere and, and plants had been uprooted and things had been cut off and, and there were huge piles of gardening waste. And I thought, what's going on? And my mother said, oh, I've just been pruning. This is what you've got to do because when you prune and you cut things back and you, you, you make things right, you clean things up, you get a better yield at the end. You get, you get more flowers at the end. And she was right. Every year, the garden looked absolutely fabulous. But you know, the word that's used here for pruning is actually the same word translated cleanse in other places in the Bible. In other words, the gardener will clean up the fruit bearing the branches so that it will bear more fruit. A vine, if it's left to its own devices, will produce a lot of baggage. And so extensive pruning is necessary for a maximum crop. 
So how does God prune us so that we might produce a better yield of fruit? Well, Jesus helpfully explains it. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. It's the word of God that cleanses or prunes us. The disciples didn't read God's word because Jesus was there to speak it to them. But today, of course, we've got God's word. It's written down for us in the Bible, and it's everything that we need to get clean. You know, God's word has the power to clean us up. When we read God's word, it can expose sin in our lives, it encourages holiness, it can promote goodness, and it can unleash power. And when we are connected to Jesus, we should long to get into God's word in the way that we want to take a hot shower or climb into a hot bath at the end of a busy day. We want to make ourselves spiritually clean because that makes us more productive Christians. Now, sometimes cutting away all the bad and unproductive stuff can be a painful process. And when we connect with God and when we start praying to him and we start reading his word, then the Holy Spirit will soon start identifying areas in our life that we need to change. And these might be behavioral changes. They might be places we go to or people we know or things that we do when we think no one else is watching. All of these things God wants to prune away from us. Now, God isn't pruning us to punish us. He's pruning us because he loves us too much to see us doing things that are going to hurt us. That's what any good father does. You know, I can remember, he'll kill me if I tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway because he's not here. But I can remember the time when I had to give my son a smack. He was three years old, and he'd been told over and over again uh, not to run out into the road. And we had taken him down to, um, to, to Roth Park Lake, and uh, we had to park on the main road outside Roth Park Lake. And William was three. And I know he was three because he had a baby sister sitting next to him. So he said to William, right, okay, now listen, there's a busy road here. We're going to cross it all together. But just let, let us now just get Catherine out and get her all, all, all ready in the pushchair before, before we go. And so Helen was there getting Catherine into the pushchair and arranging it. And she suddenly screamed. And I saw this blur go past me. And I realized it's my three-year-old who now cannot wait any longer. He's got to get over to those swings and slides, and he's going for it. And I can remember in this heart-stopping moment, stepping forward and grabbing him and pulling him back as a car went past at a ridiculous speed. I tell you that I have never been more frightened in my life. But you know what? We made sure that he knew in future that that wasn't a good thing to do. And, you know, I'm sure he probably found that process quite unpleasant, as did I, but it was necessary because no discipline, as the writer of Hebrews says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's painful, but later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And that's absolutely true. Okay, well, look, we must stay connected. If we want, if we want to be effective as Christians, we must stay connected connected. You know, Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. None of us are going to bear fruit unless we choose to remain connected to the vine. That's the purpose of the branch. You know, people don't grow vines because they look pretty. They take the time and the effort to plant, water, and cultivate the vines so that what the vine produces is fruit which can be enjoyed, or flowers, or whatever the vine is doing. And in the same way, it 
God does not want us to simply look pretty. He wants to see our lives bear fruit. You know, we have a beautiful description of the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives in Galatians chapter 5, when the Apostle Paul writes that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's a really helpful guide to seeing how much fruit we are producing in our lives. You know, we should be asking ourselves, how much love am I offering? How much joy am I expressing? How much peace am I bringing? How much patience am I displaying? How much kindness am I sharing? How much goodness am I producing? How much faithfulness am I showing? How much gentleness am I giving? And how much self-control am I demonstrating? You know, the quality and the quantity of the fruit may differ, but the presence of fruit will be inevitable when we are connected to Jesus. When we're connected to him, bearing fruit happens naturally. And we can't produce any of it without him. Because it's not about us. It's all about him. Now we can pretend, we can go through the motions of being kind and loving and patient, but unless we're connected to Jesus, our fruit is going to be useless. You see, for a fruit to be good fruit, it has to have seeds, which can also produce more fruit. A wise person once said, attitudes are contagious, is mine worth catching? And we've all experienced what it's like when you have one person with a bad attitude in a room full of people. Pretty soon, everybody's feeling miserable and is on edge. But if I walk into a room and I'm filled with kindness and, and patience, that's a different story. And that's our challenge. Now, when the Holy Spirit is producing love and joy and patience in me, it isn't for my benefit, not entirely. It's also that other people will see the love and the joy and the patience and that they will pass it on to others. And that only happens when the Holy Spirit is the one producing the fruit because he's the only one with the power to multiply it. You see, Jesus doesn't command us to produce fruit on our own. We don't have to do it under our own strength. And if we tried, it wouldn't be good fruit. And that's why God puts his Holy Spirit inside each and every one of us so that we're all connected. And the Holy Spirit gives us gifts that we can use to help one another. Now, there isn't time this morning to go into the list of all the, the gifts and the spiritual gifts that God gives us. Some of us might have pastoral gifts that give them a heart to help people. Other people may have prayer gifts and evangelism gifts and administrative gifts and teaching gifts. And there'll be people with the gift of encouragement and, the, and people with the gift of helping. And all of these gifts are really, really important. And when we use them for God, we will be bearing fruit. The Apostle Paul says in his letter to Titus, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Every prayerful thought, every kind word, every helpful action, every positive attitude can be another grape on the cluster of fruit that we are producing. We can bear fruit that is pleasing to the gardener at any time and in any situation. Jesus says all that happens, all that we need to do is to remain connected with him. And how much fruit we produce will depend on how much we stay connected with him. Now I love how these verses show us that it's not about us. It's not about us trying harder or working harder or putting in more effort. It's about trusting Jesus and staying connected to him. 
You know, he has an awesome plan for our lives. And all we have to do is to trust him and stay connected to him. And our fruit will happen naturally. And if you feel that you are not bearing as much fruit as you know you could be, then the solution is not to work harder or try to beat yourself up or anything like that. The solution is simply to spend more time with Jesus. Spending time with him, reading his word, getting connected. That's our challenge. And when we do this, the fruit will come naturally. You know, when my children were small, I didn't have to shout at them to grow. I just had to make sure that they had a roof over their heads to keep them warm and food and drink to sustain them and that they knew that they were loved and cared for and protected. And when they had all of these things, the growth happened naturally. But if we don't remain connected, we'll be tested. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, says God. Some branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now here's another verse that some people have used to claim that it's possible for Christians to lose their salvation. But I don't believe it is. A branch that's thrown into the fire because it didn't remain on the vine can sound a lot like a Christian being thrown into hell because they didn't remain connected to Jesus. But once again, I don't think this is what Jesus is saying to us. You see, I don't believe that the Bible teaches that a person can lose their salvation once they have obtained it. If you have repented sincerely, if you have trusted Jesus to save you, and if you have tried and obeyed his teachings, then I believe that your salvation is secure. You know, even in John's Gospel, there are instances where he speaks of the eternal security of salvation. Jesus says in John 3.16, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In John 6, he says, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. In John 10, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Listen to this. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, if it was possible for Christians to lose their eternal salvation, then the gospel would not be a gospel of liberation and joy. It would be a gospel of fear and hard work. God doesn't want his children to live in fear that we're not going to meet his high standards. He already knows that we're not going to meet his high standards. That's why Jesus had to come and save us. We're all sinners saved by grace. The Bible teaches us clearly that it's by grace that we have been saved, through faith, not from ourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Can you imagine how terrible heaven would be if it was full of people boasting about all the wonderful things they'd done on earth to get there? Fortunately, we know that it isn't our good works that save us. It's our faith in God. So why then is Jesus talking about throwing withered branches that no longer remain in him into the fire? Well, I think we see the answer to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when Paul is explaining that one day God will test the quality of everyone's work to see how much of it was done for Jesus. Now, if we remain connected to Jesus until the day we die on this earth, then our fruit will be obvious. It'll be there for everyone to see. But if we've allowed our branch to wither, if we've allowed ourselves to become separated from the, God, from the vine, then God will test what we have produced to see if there is anything that we can take into heaven. And how does he do that? Well, he does it with fire. 1 Corinthians 11.15 says, No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
If anyone builds on this foundation using something else, gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it into light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. You see, anything that doesn't have Jesus at the foundation is going to be burnt up. But we are going to receive a heavenly reward for anything that remains. Now, it's really important that we make that distinction, that we see that a Christian who builds nothing of heavenly value with his salvation still manages to escape the flames, if only just, to barely. But they will suffer loss in heaven for not using the gifts and opportunities that God gave them to help to build up his kingdom and bear fruit. And this is why Jesus invites us to store up our treasure in heaven, where we can enjoy it for eternity by producing fruit here on earth. Now, of course, I don't want any of us here to suffer loss when we get to heaven. If you're not producing the fruit that you know you should be producing, then you can come to the garden right now, today, and ask him to raise you up into the light, clean you up, and prune you until you are producing much fruit. And there may, of course, be some of us here today who've never even had that experience of being connected to Jesus. You know, people can come to church for years without ever realizing what it is to experience the love and peace of God in their lives. And if you've never accepted Jesus' gift of salvation that he died on the cross to give you, then you need to connect to the true vine today. You need to ask God to forgive you your sins. You need to follow Jesus and accept his assurance of an eternity in heaven. You need to connect to the true vine right now. No other vine is going to have the power to save you. In fact, all the other vines are going to hold you back. Just as a branch can only live if it's connected to the vine, so a person can only spiritually live if they're connected to Jesus. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can get to heaven unless it's through him. So our fruit shows us that we belong to Jesus. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now this is another really challenging verse because all of us know what it feels like to have our prayers unanswered. I have heard it said that there are three ways that God will answer our prayers, with a yes, a no, and a not yet. And it can be tough. You know, we live in an age, don't we, of instant gratification. Instant coffee, microwave meals, DVD box sets on Netflix. We can expect our prayers to be answered in the same way. And of course, God says, well, no, that's not right. It may be yes, it may be no, it may be not yet. But we should not overlook the importance here of the reference when Jesus says, my words. He says here that a Christian who is connected to him should expect to see answered prayer as part of their relationship with him. You know, Psalm 37 teaches us to take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. And when our heart's desires match the desires of God's heart, then we will see our prayers answered. Well, what does Jesus want for us? Well, sadly, it's probably not for me to own a Ferrari. He wants to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Do I want to see that? Do I want to be a part of that? You see, when I ask God to be a part of his plan for our world, then I will begin to see my prayers answered. When, when our hearts align with God's heart, we will see 
our prayers answered. Jesus also says here that the purpose of bearing fruit is not to bring honor to ourselves. It's to bring honor to God. Unless we want to bring honor to him, whatever fruit we produce is going to be worthless because it's not about us. It's about him. And a branch that bears much fruit brings honor to God. So that's what we need to be doing. You see, the gardener spends his time and energy tending to his vine so that he will have branches that are good and strong and healthy and laden with fruit. And in the same way, God nurtures and encourages us so that we will be spiritually good and strong and healthy and filled with his love. Now, time is almost up, so, and I've got a few more th things that I really, really want to try and share with you, so I'm going to work quickly with these, if I may. Uh, we are loved beyond measure. We are loved beyond measure. Um, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That is absolutely phenomenal. You know, Jesus knew as he walked with his disciples along the road to Gethsemane that this was going to be one of his last opportunities to prepare them for what lay ahead. And he knew that in a few hours' time, his beaten body was going to be hanging on a cross in agonizing pain as the life drained from him. But his thoughts were not on himself. He wanted to make sure that the disciples knew how much they mattered to him, how much they were loved. And if you want to know how much Jesus loves you, he tells us that he loves us with the same love that God the Father has for him. You know, that's a wonderful picture. Many clever theologians throughout history have tried to comprehend this, but to be honest, it's pretty mind-blowing. The Father's love for his Son is timeless. It has no beginning. It has no end. It is close and personal. It can't be measured, and it will never change. And that is how much Jesus loves us. Now, if knowing that doesn't fill you with joy this morning, then something's going to be wrong. You know, Jesus says that this should bring us complete joy. That's the natural state that he has for us. You know, Jesus is saying that if we remain connected to his love, we will experience that joy in our lives. Now, there are times, I must confess, when I don't feel much joy in my life. And you know, if we are feeling that way today, that should be like a warning light on the dashboard of our car. I had a warning light come on my car yesterday. I had to take it to the garage and get it sorted. And if we're not experiencing complete joy today, knowing how much God loves us, then we might have a broken connection in our relationship with Jesus. So we need to reconnect our branch to the vine. Why? Well, because we must love others. Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You know, Jesus wants us to be friends, his friends. He doesn't want us to be slaves. There's a huge difference. You know, we, he's told us about his plans for the world, and now he wants us to be a part of those plans. And if we want to remain connected to Jesus, we simply have to do what he's told us to do, which kind of makes sense. I mean, how can I call myself a friend of Jesus if I don't do the things that he wants me to do? What kind of friend would that make me? So what does Jesus want from me? Well, he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light and that we will find rest for our souls when we connect to him. You know, in Matthew's Gospel, he tells us that the greatest, the first and greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But he follows it up with something else. He says the second is like it. It's just as important. Love your enemy as yourself. And he goes on to say all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
Later, he gives us the Great Commission when he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So when we praise and worship God, when we love people with the same kind of love that Jesus has for us, when we share our good news about Jesus with people, when we get baptized, when we follow Jesus' teachings, we are doing what our friend Jesus wants us to do. And we can call him our friend. And he is our friend. And lastly, and I do apologize, it's been a bit of a whistle-stop rush this morning, Jesus chose us. You did not choose me, he said. I chose and appointed you. See, Jesus saves this amazing revelation until now. Think about when you first became a Christian. All the things that took place in order for that moment to happen. None of it happened by accident. Jesus wanted you. Yes, you. From the very beginning. He chose me and he chose you. And he appointed us to bear fruit. You see, it's nothing to do with us. It's not about us. If you're thinking this morning that the Christian life is hard and that you're not cut out for it, this verse tells you, assures you, that the Son of God has chosen you and has appointed you. He's picked you out. He wants you to bear fruit. Not just any fruit, fruit that will last. Fruit that isn't going to get burned up, but fruit that will survive forever in heaven. And that's a huge privilege. We get to be friends with the Son of God. We get to see our prayers answered. We get to bear so much fruit that God will be glorified. We get to know God's plan for this world, and we get to be a part of making it happen. And none of us, none of us has this privilege. None of us deserves to have that. We have it for one reason, and one reason only, because he chose us first. Amen? Amen.